0: Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to another episode of the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. I am joined today by my favorite person in the whole wide world, Karen Blanchett, the Executive Director of Paycom, And PACOM stands for the Professional Association of Healthcare Office Management. There it is. Look at that. <laughs> just, just in, in, case, case you, in case I forgot, you have it there in the back wall. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Welcome, Karen. How are you? How are thank you. Doing you?
1: Today? I'm fabulous. Excellent. I'm as fabulous.
0: always. As
1: always. And well, I'm really happy to be here. And I'm super excited about your new podcast. Yeah.
0: Thank you. I feel you.
1: really lucky to be one of the first.
0: You are. That's I'm right. Thankful. You are one of the first. Thank you very much. And I'm excited about this podcast. In particular, because we've known each other for a short period of time, but I feel like uh, I've been to war with you already since.
1: <laughs> I've actually been on the task groups with you, I think, for a long time.
0: I know, but I, I used mean, to just, be
1: really quiet and not say did. anything because I was a three. And then after a little while, I decided to pipe up. And so. You did.
0: You did pipe up and you piped up often. And I thought, who is this person on the other end of the phone? And then we got to meet each other in Washington. And that was a blast. We had a good time at dinner, didn't we?
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> Fine. Yay, in-person meetings <laughs> are that. Be safe. But... So
0: good. So, yeah, stay safe. <laughs> stay, stay classy, San Diego. Stay safe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell us a little bit about Paycom.
1: So Paycom, the Professional Association of Healthcare Office Management, it's been around since 1988. Wow. And the purpose there is to support small practices. It was actually founded by my dad. Oh. And Yeah. And in those days, I was in college attending bar, and I didn't know what he did. And you know, every once in a while, I'd spend a weekend stuffing envelopes and stuff with newsletters. But other than that, I didn't really get involved. But he did it. It was born out of a postgraduate school thesis that he wrote. He went to Neville Postgraduate School. And he was talking about how there were all these resources for hospitals and large groups, but not for the small practices. And so she decided to start on with her times. And that's how it was born. And back in those days, he didn't have the internet or cell phones or any of that sort of thing. And it was largely based on mouth-to-mouth and snail mail, paper, you know, letters and mm-hmm. newsletters and all of that. And it just blew up. People needed it so badly because there really wasn't any way for people to share knowledge for the small groups. And so I ended up graduating college, joined the Navy, became a hospital administrator, blah, 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 I'll tell you later when you ask me a more specific question about how I got into it. But even today, we continue 30, oh, do the math, five years now serving the small practice population. And it's oftentimes the doctor themselves mm-hmm. that works our information. Because they either don't have an office manager and trying to do it themselves on weekends after the kids go to bed or they have a family friend or a spouse that's handling it, but isn't really trained to do it, mm-hmm. and there's just so much to know there is highly regulated industry, lots of money on the table, and there is a right and a wrong way to do it, mm-hmm. and in doing it really right, you can make a lot more money so many doctors are leaving revenue on the table because they just don't realize Mm. that they're able to get that.
0: That's Um, a great reason to join.
1: How many members,
0: how many members are there today?
1: Oh oh gosh, you know, three and a half, 4,000. I'd like it to be a lot more, obviously, because then we can share more widely. But with the internet, people think that they can Google questions Mm -hmm. about their medical practice. And it's not in context. Gosh, what was it? I was trying to I was thinking about something the other day and I was like, I need the answer to this thing and I can't Google it because if you Google it, then you have to explain, well, no, I don't mean this. I don't mean this. Oh, I think it was a problem with Amazon or something. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they want to tell you is do this. And it's like, well, no, that, that's not. And so if you start Googling questions about CMS or about healthcare law, about you'll get so many different opinions and so many different things from different contexts. And so mm-hmm. when you're dealing with people in your own community, I don't have to ask you how big is your practice. I already know that we're talking small practice here. I don't have to, at the end of the conversation, go, oh, right. no, you need to be talking to ACHE. Exactly. You know, which yeah. is a completely different yeah. world. I used to belong to ACHE, but that's a whole other story. No,
0: and you've been a great advocate for those doctors and those office managers. I know on when we're on those calls together about cyber, you're always the one, well, what about the single position practice? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. Don't forget them. Well, it's easy
1: for people who are creating the guidance for Mm -hmm. the healthcare sector to use to focus on the people that a lot of us on the team deal with Mm -hmm. firsthand, the vendors, the CIOs, the hospital groups, and those people. But they forget that more than 50% of the physicians out there today are working with a small practice of 10 providers or fewer. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's actually an AMA quote from a recent survey. I think it was last year. So. They're out there everywhere. Most of us see a family doctor who is a small practice.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. Those single practices and those rural hospitals are the, the backbone, the foundation of healthcare. And we have to so, help them whenever we can.
1: With respect to the question about PACOM too, I want to say and how we got on this relative to cybersecurity
0: mm-hmm.
1: and technology in general. My, maybe I should wait until you ask a question about this, but I'm kind of rolling into the work that we do on the task group. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, sure. the technology specific in cybersecurity that we're sharing and that we're creating as tools for the practices to use. I have a lot of passion for it, as you know. In 2011, Paycom wrote a book. Mail the book here in Asian its paper form, and now you can get it on Kindle. Awesome. You know, but what happened was we had the certified medical manager at Paycom. It's been around since the late 80s, mm-hmm. maybe 91, and. It's awesome. It's nine different domains, everything from HR and marketing to technologies in there too, but it's a little bit of everything. And the credential, the certified medical manager helps to demonstrate that a person knows enough about all of these things to be a successful manager. But the IT part just came bigger and bigger and bigger. And I have a, a bit of an IT background myself. And then my husband was a cybersecurity architect for at and mm. working in the media space. And there's a lot of, he's a, an ethical hacker and does a lot of Black Hat, DEF CON, Ben all that. And anyway, cool. I went to a conference at Pinkcom and we thought, you know what? We're not doing enough with the IT here. Mm-hmm. We really, really need to step it up. Because who's out there making sure that the small practices are up to seed and have the tools that they need in order to protect themselves, protect their patients, protect the hospital groups that they're connected to, network to? Who's out there doing that? And nobody was, and nobody is still. Don't aware of. So as an association is looking out for them, I'm sure there are a lot of vendors and we have a lot of partners that we work with. Your organization obviously does that. But as healthcare associations though, we decided to go ahead and pick that up then. And it has just been exploding ever since. Wow. And, you know, that is where we decided to put a good bit of our resources at that time. Now, 12 years ago, it seems like yesterday that we did that, but really, really glad that we spent the time and energy on that and that we focused on that because you could not have known then that it was going to be as critical as it is now. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not something you can just wake up one day and decide to excel at.
0: That's a great point. In fact, 12 years ago, it was about the data, which is a problem. Obviously, we don't want to lose PHI. We don't want to lose patient information or protected health information. But with ransomware, which is fairly new phenomena over the last five or so years, not only are patients now at risk of harm, so are hospitals and so are clinics and so are physician practices of actually shutting their doors because they can't pay the ransom. Yeah. And everything they do is in electronic or digital form. And now it's secured, encrypted, and the bad guys have the key and we can't pay. So yeah. we have no option but to shut our doors and close down. So that's a real problem now.
1: But you can make yourself less of a target. There's no 100% way. People saying, why bother well, doing it? I mean, they're going to get in if they want to get in. It's like, really, did you lock your door at your house today? Because, you know, 12-year-old people work through your window. That's right. And, and it's like, we lock our car door because whoever's the low-lying thieves are going to just check car doors as they walk through the parking lot. And if yours is locked, they'll go to another place. But if it's open, then there goes your stereo or whatever's in your glove box and that sort of thing. So it makes sense to do due diligence, follow a basic set of guidelines mm-hmm. and recommendations that our group and others are creating for you and giving to you for free. And that's the other thing that's really, really cool. I mean, it's bad that it's so bad that the government has to pay for all of this to happen, but it's good that all of this is free Mm -hmm. to so many small practices and other groups who need it. I mean, there are real great resources being created and developed and delivered for free thanks to HHS and Department of Labor and other groups. We actually have a great right now that we're working with partners. is one of our partners that we're working with for Department of Labor grant to get free training online Mm. at your own pace for the HIT CMPP, which is our HIT credential for small practice managers and also the exam. So it pays for the training and the exam and the practice employer, the participant that's getting the education, nobody pays any of that.
0: You can't beat that, right? Free is good. Oh, you can't beat that. (laughs) So
1: We're not supposed to say free because
0: (laughs) nobody's paying
1: for it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So to the listeners, to the physicians out there listening, the office managers that are listening today, put more money in your pocket, become a Paycom member. How about that?
1: Well, you don't even have to be a member. I mean, not that I don't want you to be a member. Of course Mm -hmm. I do, but. You don't even have to be a member to qualify this grant. The grant is open to the public and we're promoting it open to the public. You know, an association that serves a small practice management group, small practices, isn't making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I don't want to come out and like you know, well, we poor or whatever. But the thing is, when you sell one unit to a small practice, you sell a very, very inexpensive unit to one person. When you sell something to a large group or a large hospital, well, that's a contractor, you know, that's a different kind of thing. And so my dad started it because of passion. I'm doing it because of passion. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a simple person and I feel very, very lucky that what flips my switch is making a difference, helping people, watching that smile on a person that I just taught something to, those kinds of things you can't buy. Now, don't get me wrong. You can send me money if you want to. I'll take it. <laughs> I like it. And I have bills to pay, But at the end of the day, yeah. what we're really here to do is try to make a difference. And so, yeah, we're throwing it out there to everybody. And I think it might even be the rules of the grant, but we have mm. a lot of stuff for pre on our site mm-hmm. anyway, aside from the grant, just because, gosh, you know, people follow some rules, learn some things, watch some CMS training. You can go to our education calendar, which is also publicly available. And There's tons of free education out there, and I hope that more people will take advantage of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, that's terrific. And, you know, again, if you're an office manager, if you're a physician of a small practice, reach out to Karen, take a look at Paycom. Very interesting association, doing a lot of great work for our industry. And of course, I'm also very interested in the person behind Paycom, and that would be you, Karen. So, so we're going to turn to some of the questions and let our listeners get a chance to know you a little better. So okay. how, you talked a little bit about your dad. So how did you get into healthcare though? You said you were in the military at one point. So yeah. tell us the story.
1: Well, so I went to college because my dad made me, <laughs> I'd like to take credit for being smart enough to do it on my own, but <laughs> it, was, it wasn't.
0: I actually, you, you and I would be in a van down by the river. A <laughs> yeah. war for our dads, probably.
1: Uh, I was in a van down by the river for a while. I took the long scenic path to my degree, but in the end, I ended up trying to redeem myself. Got a master's degree, and then went to get a job at a hospital because my dad told me that healthcare is: you want business, you got business. You want to do things that make a difference for people and help people, and you got that. You want something that's going to always be around forever and ever and ever and ever? Healthcare. You want something that's going to be changing all the time and has all kinds of cool science around it? Healthcare. And I was just, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. And that's what he was. He was a healthcare administrator. I mean, he started out as a foreman in Vietnam, but then he went to school and became a healthcare administrator. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, MBA, knock, 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 hostile around the corner. I want a great job doing a real important thing for lots of money. And they laughed. Oh, know. We might have a position in the mail room. And they said, but but and they said, How much experience do you have? And I said, And so then I looked at the military. And military said, we're gonna pay you crap for like the whole time you're in.
0: But you're gonna get a lot of experience.
1: But you're gonna get a lot of
0: experience.
1: Mm, yeah. Job number one, the first day, I'm the assistant to the director for surgical services at a 500-bed hospital. Not the secretary or administrative assistant. I'm the, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. He had a secretary and then I basically followed him around and learned how a hospital was. And it was fascinating. It was, I guess I had that job for almost a year. And then I ran a division with over 200 people, um, millions of dollars in budget and all that, patient administration. At uh, a 500 bed hospital, and then rotated through from records into decedent affairs. I got to learn how to embalm bodies, all kinds of just amazing amounts of information mm-hmm. and training. And then at one point, I was being trained to go to Fleet Hospital Five in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And I went to training for that at Camp Pendleton, which was really cool. They dropped these townhouse boxes from a helicopter in the middle of the desert, and then you build a hostel. <laughs> i mean really like with the air conditioning like mash, like M.A.S.H. that's cool and everything yeah. like mash except hmm. nowadays yeah. yeah it was really cool um but i was in head of the administrator department there and i just thought it was coolest thing ever and then a senior Fulbright captain and army navy all that stuff's called different things the Fulbright guy in the navy's called mm-hmm. captain anyway he gave me a call he's like hey grand Shin, they're gonna build a new aircraft carriers I'm like, yeah. He goes, you should pray and it. And I was like, what? You're only 14 at the time in the world, positions like this for hospital administrators. Mm-hmm. And he said, this one's going to allow women on it. And so she said, all right, sure, whatever. You know, and Larry Siebel, thank you, sir.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'm just like, but I'm going to her. He's like, I'll cancel that. You know, you're doing a craft carrier. I was wow. like, all right. Terraric. It was cool. It How was- long did
0: you do that for? Oh
1: uh, Two years. Two yeah. Years. Oh. But it was a reconditioning unit. So we got to plan the hospital. They're like, sure, blueprints. Make sure the builders are doing it right. I'm like, What? <laughs> you know, in <And> a hard <laughs> hour, I should dig it out. It's right over there. <laughs> That's great. Look over a box and grab it for a each... it was so much fun. But we had a department of thirty on the R65 bed hospital. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're it. Little battle wrestling stations all around with shipping mm-hmm. case pit right for Peter. Here you have access to stuff there. All of them can be retrofitted into ORs. Wow. It was just really wild stuff, and yeah, I loved it. I loved it a lot. And then after that, my second boss contacted me and said, "Hey, Blanchard, I hear you're coming up for orders. You're going to change your job." I'm like, "Yeah, uh-huh." I want you to be my CIO. And wow. 1996.
0: Like <laughs> wow, that's. I am saying, "What's a CIO?" Yeah, exactly. A lot of people were probably asking that question in 1996. Yes.
1: The Navy hasn't come on board yet, recognizing that we actually need a technology department and healthcare office. You know, and and this was the regional dental headquarters in Norfolk, Virginia, covering all of the Eastern Seaboard, Catholic Iceland, parts of Europe. It was a big job, and and he said, "We need somebody like this, and BMed will get me, but they'll give me another hospital administrator. I'll ask for you, and but you got to agree to be this." And Never I was mind. like, "I don't know anything like that." He was, "Well, shit, I know you. You're the one." With- <laughs> And that That's second job, I said, patient administration, you're the one that came in and took that DOS machine off your desk and put your Mac on there because the IT guys would come down with their glasses with its meat and they go, she used a semicolon instead of a colon. I don't, and I was like, I just want to make my report, man. That's so hard, funny. And I'm That's a make so- it happen person. And so anyway, mm-hmm. I ended up taking that job and that is why I'm here.
0: Made all the difference. Because
1: yeah. I ended up making friends with the local people that were GS employees, the civilians that are the glue that holds the military together with mm-hmm. continuity. And they were like, hey, we're putting in a new rack over at the blah, blah, blah. You want to come?" And yeah. And I learned how to run two balls. And it wasn't what a CIO needed to do, yeah. but it was how I rolled. I was talking, it took you know, that why?
0: proverbial road not taken and it made all the difference.
1: Well, I thought, you know what? If I'm going to negotiate contracts and it ended up happening, a new clinic was being built and there weren't any IT closets and there was no planning for monitors in the different exam rooms or any of that stuff. And I was like, wait, 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 we gotta do this. And I'm like, we don't have time. they like, well, if you don't have time, we're gonna to to stop patient care and then break stuff down and then we're gonna to have to put holes in the walls and they're gonna have, sh-. and they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. And then the contractors come in and they go, that's gonna be a billion dollars. And I see why they go, Oh, honey, we haven't run lots and of this. stuff. You know, they kind of, and I'm like, Oh, do you mean, you know, the blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so it, it came in. It, hey, if you know what you're managing, if you know what's going on, you don't have to have your fingers on the pulse of every single thing in your business, but you do have to understand what they're talking about, what it means. And that brings me back again to the HIT CMPP. We're not teaching practice managers to be. The IT guy, but we are teaching practice managers to understand what the IT guy is talking about and to be able to understand what the CMS or the HHS or the whatever different rules that you're following are and to understand what 405D is and why. So that when you're paying money from your practice for these services, you know what you need, what you don't need, and you know how to check to see if you're getting what you're paying
0: for. Yeah. I often say it's often better to know what the question is than the answer. And so if you know what questions to ask, you yeah. can be much more informed than if you just knew the answer to the question.
1: Yeah. So um, it was a fascinating job. Yeah. I loved it. And then after that, I did, oh, I just did two years as a CIO for all of this, you know, changed everything over. I did network administration. I learned all kinds of fun stuff. And then I thought, how much is a needy paying me again?
0: Shut that about time, to- Time to get paid my worth. (laughs) Well, by
1: then, I had the experience and the education I was looking for, and they had gotten their money out of me. Mm. So I got out and worked for Computer Associates.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service, of course. So if you look at last year, better year than the previous couple of years, what are you most proud of personally, professionally, either, both? Last year. 2022. Can you believe it? You know,
1: it's something that I don't know that most people would even know we did. But we took the big hit, but for a forward-thinking reason, we got rid of our legacy database systems
0: Mm.
1: and the hosts of programmers, developers that we used to have to keep. And we really streamed that down and started using more forward-thinking tools. Mm -hmm. So, for example, our website didn't used to be mobile-friendly because the programmers that we hired back in 1990-whatever you know, oh well, that's gonna be really hard. That's gonna be extensive. This is broken, that's broken. Sometimes the message that I'm trying to convey here and what well, was really hard for us to do and we did it. And I'm really glad we did. I'm very proud of it within our team to understand what it is that we did. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you know our users do know, our customers do know because they can use their phone to manage their PayPal account and you couldn't before. Mm. So that's a big thing. And that came with this move. It was pain. Full, but I think that it's an important step. And you see it with legacy systems all the time. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this way for 50 years, but we've been doing it this way for 30 years and we chose it's going to be. There's no easy way to do that. But then what happens? New company starts up. They don't have all that legacy baggage
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then they can run circles around you. That's because right. Because they've That's got right. all the fancy things that people expect today. It's hard to let go of the comfort zone I talked about fear earlier and I don't know how much we're going to end up talking about fear on this podcast, but I was saying that fear, the F word, it's the F word, it's fear. And fear can cause you to miss out and not be out there and to not do things like pull the plug on the legacy system. It was incredibly risky to do that. Mm -hmm. And it cost us some, but it's also given us opportunities that we wouldn't have had before. It's opened... The doors to more, being able to support more people yep. and do it in a better way. So while it was risky and I was afraid, I think that the real bad word is the C word and that's comfort.
0: No, I would agree. And especially in our business, and in our industry, you have to be so maniacal about embracing change and embracing innovation and technology because you blink and you'll be marginalized. and. There are kids right now in a garage looking to disrupt you, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know because I was one of those kids. So you always have to be thinking about the next big thing and challenging the team to think that way as well, which is hard to do because most people yeah. don't like change. They're people afraid of it. are
1: trying to get comfortable. That's but right. we finish this, we'll be comfortable.
0: Exactly. But, but no. There's no comfort in there, this.
1: There, if there is comfort, then you will are <laughs>
0: You're probably retired on a beach.
1: Oh, you're either retired on a beach or you're falling behind.
0: Or in a van down by the river. <laughs> Back to that. All right. So if you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing? You have a, such an interesting background. You've done a lot of different things. What would you be doing if you weren't doing this?
1: I don't know. Do I have untold sums of money?
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's your fantasy.
1: Yeah. Racing field boats.
0: Ah, there you go. That's great. That's great.
1: For sure. I got a small taste of that a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. My husband, the awesome white had cybersecurity dude, he ended up dying. It's been. Oh, four I'm sorry.
0: Years. Thank you. No, I didn't answer. know
1: I that it was horrible. This is him. Uh, yeah. Oh. Anyway, and living my world, I was a, like, when he would go out of town on business, I would miss him so much. But when I would go out of town on business, I'm busy doing other stuff, you know? Yeah. And what it is, is you've got your bubble, and then there's an empty spot. But if you create a new bubble where there's not an empty spot, it's good it for does healing. Help. Absolutely. It's super helpful for healing. And, and you're never going to forget. And it's not about forgetting anything like that. It's just about being able to survive. And so mm-hmm. sealing was one of those things that I always wanted to do. And I had done with friends a few times that didn't yeah. really know how to do it. And that is the riskiest thing.
0: Oh. <laughs> You're jumping right into the question. Wait, were you prepped ahead of time Here, No, I I knew there was something
1: I forgot, and that's what I forgot.
0: This is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what is the riskiest thing you've ever done?
1: I sailed
0: with a friend
1: who didn't know how to sail, and me, and her husband who didn't know how to sail. Wow. And a super nice old guy who was in not the best of health. And was very old and not in the best of health, who was the only person who knew how to sail. And they bought a boat near where I lived in around the Tampa Bay area in Florida. Mm -hmm. And they lived in Houston, well, Dallas. But we sailed from Tarpon Springs to Houston, which is straight across the Gulf of Mexico Uh in February with just the four of us. And a boat that they had never sailed before because it was a 1975 vintage 39-foot something. And it was stupid. It was like,
0: <laughs> okay, <"What? so> just... <laughs> you didn't capsize though, did you?
1: We were, you know, it was really cool in some ways. We have lots of video of hundreds of dolphins following us for like uh-huh. miles, miles. Isn't
0: that beautiful though? And they yeah, would be like
1: is... racing. And they're like, and then you could tell because the one had a bent little thing and it would go back and we'd come by again. It'd go back, it'd come by. But they were as far as the epic so you could see them all of them. It was wild. But it was dangerous. It really was. We had no business doing that. And yeah. after that, I took sailing lessons.
0: <laughs> and you realized how stupid it was. How, I'm, like, oh, I'm going to sail. And she <laughs> said, well, we just
1: bought this boat. And if you're serious about that, yeah. are you just talking, snap? Or are you really going to sail? Because if you're really going to sail, let's go. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna sail. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. So, so we you've been learned, sailing. Yeah. So then I learned how to sail. I took lessons and all of that. And then... I joined a sailing group and all that. And then mm-hmm. I realized I don't really like sailing. I like racing. <laughs> you like what? Racing.
0: Oh, because racing. Oh.
1: involves or At least the groups I was in here involves a lot of alcohol and a lot of <laughs> talking. And so you sail for a bit and then you drink and you chew the bet, which I love to do no. in between races. Mm-hmm. So then I joined this little old ladies racing club here. They oh. have these, they have regattas and stuff. And they sail these little boats called prams. It kind of look like soapbox derby kind of boat. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then if you do well, then you get to sail and race in Sunfish.
0: Oh, so very I nice.
1: There. I placed third my first season. Out. That's great. It was. Yeah. And there's a place near where I live where you can go where they do a lot of racing of the larger boats. And these are people who they really do real regattas, And you can be crew on their boats and so Mm -hmm. I've been with them several times and it's if you haven't been and you have an adrenaline thing oh it's crazy I mean you're like screaming along and another boat tacks right in front of you and then you're plow right into the side of them you think you're gonna sink, but then they go oh this thing is dead we'll just throw it under there and keep going (laughs) I'm just wow my first thought was my car's cheese are (laughs) glow but because it was it's wild it's a lot of fun
0: yeah, I just can't get the scene of the Jaws movie out of my head when I think of those small little boats, that's all. Well, uh, anyway. there's a lot of
1: boats there. They'll pick you up. If you that's
0: call. right. So you've also uh, done some other risky things in your life, too. I think I recall seeing you jumping out of planes, possibly.
1: Oh, wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
0: tell us about that. That's really interesting.
1: You know, I was a skydiver avidly for over 10 years. And it is how I met my husband. And it is such a wonderful, wonderful community. Doing a tandem skydive, going to a drop zone, saying, I'm going to face my peers, and jumping out of a plane strapped to somebody is really awesome. And I highly recommend everybody do it. And that's just a tandem from a good drop zone, like somebody that's regulated. So the USPA rated, United States Parachute Association rated drop zone. You can Google it and you can see who they are. But that's so much fun. But what I really liked was the challenge. It's kind of like sailing or golf, although I personally don't care for golf. It's very, 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 very hard to learn to be proficient. Mm-hmm. flying your body. And you can do it at wind tunnels. They're everywhere these days. I fly is the most popular brand of wind tunnels. They're in a lot of cities now. And people think, oh, that's fake skydiving. And I'm here to tell you, oh, no, that's where the world champions train is in the wind tunnel because the wind tunnel gives you many minutes in a row of what we call freefall time. Freefall time from the time you get out of the plane to the time you have to open your parachute is about one minute, depending on the type of skydiving you're doing. But if you go in the wind tunnel and practice that free-fall stuff, that moving your body around maneuvering, like that can fly right up to you, stop right in front of you, poke you in the nose, turn around, do a flip, and then fly away. It's not easy to learn how to do that, but that's what makes it so rewarding. You learn just a little bit. And then for people who have my kind of personality, type A, and control-free, and adrenaline jockey, and all of that, you know, I, I'll land and I'll made one little thing. I did better than the last time, and I'm just like, oh,
0: that's "So cool!" That's and cool. I, you
1: know, just I think like when you make that golf swing, that shot, and you get because you put a lot into making that happen, and when you finally nail it, it's just. And the other thing about skydiving is, and I believe golf is the same too. Is well, maybe not skydiving for sure. You have to focus, I and mean, you have to focus. You have
0: to Your be life change. depends on it. <laughs> Your life depends on it. Yeah, that's why I was like, do. I don't
1: know about golf. I think for golf, it does matter. If you're not really present, if you're yeah. not in the moment, then you probably won't do well. Again, talking about a game I don't play. And I think that that does correlate.
0: I got a birdie once in my uh, golf over <laughs> <there>. No, literally, <laughs> I, I hit a bird with a ball. Ah, killed it. I feel, yeah. you know, I feel really, no, it actually happened. No. In the two some in front of me, they picked the bird up and they, Put it on the back of their car. It's so terrible, and they drove around with it the whole time because they were mocking me the whole time. Like, yeah, was it us. a
1: mocking oh, bird? <laughs> I
0: hadn't thought about that. It could have been a mocking bird. That would have been appropriate. All right. Well, we're getting ready to wrap up here, Karen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let
1: me look and see if there's anything I really wanted to tell you that I didn't tell you.
0: No, you told me so much. Are you kidding me?
1: Fear is mitigated by knowledge. Not. <laughs> it's important okay listeners um, um, about that. Um, podcasting 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 we didn't talk about podcasting
0: what do you want to talk about podcasting
1: this is my top that remember <laughs> i said make them used to say that at the end of every show
0: oh yeah that was the logo <sighs> that i
1: made back in 2005 you,
0: you actually yeah you did podcasting before it was cool before the cool kids were doing podcasting
1: adam curry picked me up by my little broken self and gave me money
0: <laughs> and it threw a yeah, mic in front of cool. you and said, Talk.
1: <laughs> yes. So, yeah. But for people who want to learn about skydiving or who are interested in the Zenness, which mm-hmm. I didn't really get a chance to share too much because it's only a, not a half hour, an hour show, not a five hour show, YouTube, because I don't have my site up anymore. But if you YouTube skydiver girls, all one word, then you can see some of the. I used to interview girls and talk about. Oh, cool. People. Yeah. Why do you jump? And you'll hear over and over and over again. It helps me focus. It helps me release all the noise. It helps me hmm. remember who I am. A lot of the same kinds of things you hear about yoga or meditation, it seems odd that skydiving would give you that, but it really does.
0: Well, I imagine there's at that moment of peacefulness that you can't get anywhere else when you skydive.
1: Yeah. And it's beautiful. Of course, the views are spectacular.
0: That's <laughs> right, you can't pay for those views those views are price. <laughs> all uh, right
1: i'm so glad that you had me on and I'm well thanks to karen back yeah. again. you
0: um, will be of course you will be and if and i do expand you, this to five hours we'll have a lot to talk about <laughs> here
1: you go. here we go uh, you. keep your wrist in check yes what i wanted to say i thought i had the rust never sleeps album. oh that and did. i looked up looked through my album and said no i had harvest is the only new young album." Oh. but i was you know, i was like I'm going to bring that Did up. I
0: tell you that that's how I came up with the Russ Never Sleeps? Oh, was, did yeah. we talk about that already? Yeah, um, yeah Rust Never Sleeps. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was
1: yeah. Neil Young. For band, River Hanger Routers. It's <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: I mean, it's Neil Young and Crazy Horse, just a great album. So, you know, I haven't asked this question, but I'm going to ask you it. Yeah, there you go. Hey, hey my, <laughs> into the blue. Desert Island, top favorite albums that you would take on a desert island with you? What would they be? Wish you were here. Oh, very good. Very good. Little Pink Floyd. Yeah. Love it.
1: And then same group. I hate to say it, but Animals also.
0: My favorite album, by the yeah. way. Uh, that yeah. is a fan. Oh, I love that album. I just got yeah. chills when you said that.
1: Me <laughs> too. Yeah. Great album. I <laughs> some favorite albums. There were so many. I don't know. I love a lot of artists. I listen to a lot of like Steely Dan. I like Pretzel Logic.
0: Oh. I've- that's great, yeah. No, it's um, fantastic here.
1: You know, but I also like jazz too. Right? Me
0: too. What do you like for jazz?
1: Who was it? Oh, is it okay if I say lettuce? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, no,
1: that's fun. That's fun.
0: Not really. Not yeah, fall. you can't say that.
1: So I don't know. I'm trying to think.
0: You nailed the first couple of albums, though. That was good. I'd be on your desert island. Yeah, thanks. Yeah.
1: You know, when I think about the albums that I've kept over the years, you know Frampton comes alive.
0: Oh, such a great album! I was just you talking know. to someone the other day about that album, Sticky Fingers. Oh, another. Let's uh, yeah. see. All right, I'm just show
1: the picture in my hand. out. Yeah.
0: I know that's exactly what I do. I look at the i what are the albums yeah, in my head? Uh, like, where yeah. did I hide my, oh, my stuff? God. Night at Which the album? <laughs> well, my first album I ever bought, Night at the Opera. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yes.
1: Cool. Cool. Yeah. 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 When the movie came out, I'm like, oh, I have that album. Yeah like it's such a
0: great album it's so contemporary even today you listen to some of the yeah, songs and,
1: yeah and i don't have a turntable anymore
0: oh uh, wow. i resurrected my turntable i pulled it out of the basement and i brought it up to my bedroom much to my wife's chagrin and i'm like <laughs> i'm putting this in the bedroom and then i was so, so adamant about it and yeah i could put on again mm-hmm. i brought all my albums took them out of the crates and put them uh-huh. in my, we have this, I have this massive walk-in closet. So I put them in my walk-in closet. So I just. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, rumors. Rumors. Great. Slovenia. one. Yeah. It's clapping. Um, wow. You are. Holy cow. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for sharing your stories with us. This is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. I'm Ed Gaudette. Thanks everyone for listening today. And remember to, if you're on the front lines of healthcare and cybersecurity, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudette, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps.